Hello and welcome back to Chronicle, the history of Newcastle United. I'm Matt Ketchell, football and fan engagement editor at Chronicle Live. And we've reached possibly the episode in the series that I've been looking forward to most. 1992 to 1995, the entertainers era. It was uh, during this time that I began going to the Newcastle games myself as a supporter. And as my co-host and club historian Paul Joannou described when he sent me the notes through for this episode last week, it was a simply magic time. Last week, we dragged ourselves through the period of 1984 to 1992, eight very challenging years of austerity, arguing and relegations. And we finished the episode with news that Kevin Keegan had returned to take over as manager. This episode is going to be a total contrast to the last one. And to help us discuss it, we're honoured to welcome a very special guest, someone who was at the heart of it all, former Newcastle United midfielder, Lee Clark. Lee, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for inviting us, Matt. Um, great time to, to be talking about the football club. Um, like you've already touched on yourself and Paul, that, that era was not just magical for the supporters, it was magical to be involved as a player and even more magical because of my background as a, as a local boy. Absolutely, yeah. You, you're the fourth player that we've been lucky enough to have on the show. Bob Moncur, Malcolm McDonald, and John Anderson have all preceded you. And I'm sure you're aware of Paul's work as the club historian. He's published many books. You feature in a lot of them, uh, not least The Ultimate Who's Who, which I've got here. It profiles every single player to have ever played a first-team game for the club. And I wanted to start by putting Paul on the spot a little bit and reading his extract for you from The Ultimate Who's Who to remind listeners about your contribution to the club. So here we go. Lee Robert Clark. Associated with United since a 10-year-old at the club's centre of excellence, Lee Clark was a juvenile star who became a regular for England schoolboys, skippering his country on many occasions. A Geordie teenager who swapped the terraces of St James's Park for the dressing room and consequently became a supporter's hero. The local lad from Walker made a significant impact in football. Clark's ability in midfield, initially as a creator, later as an anchorman, always placed him alongside previous stars Waddle, Beardsley and Gascoigne as the next in line of Tyneside favourites. With accurate passing, both short and long, and vision, to open the game up, it was Ozzy Ardiles who gave Lee his first break during the season 1990-91. With short cropped hair, at times even shaven, it was under Kevin Keegan the clock flourished. He established himself during Newcastle's Division 1 title season in 92-93 and played a leading role as an attack-minded midfielder. He was player of the season and showed that he was a footballer for the future, being the only ever present in that trophy-winning year. The Tynesider developed and matured, but as a constant stream of big money buys arrived on Tyneside, Clark found himself frozen out and reluctantly moved on in search of regular football. Lee then made a welcome return to Gallagher as a 32-year-old and soon started on a road into management, often being tipped as a future United boss. During his first appointment, he guided Huddersfield to a 43-match unbeaten run during 2010 and 2011, a football league record. Clark just missed a complete set of England honours for the National Eleven On the senior bench in 97, under Glenn Hoddle's reign, he early in his career, Lee picked up the nickname of Nasher in the St James's Park dressing room. <laughs> so, are you happy with that? I'm very happy with that, yeah. I didn't realise you were talking about me. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, like I said in the intro, last week's episode, we finished in, in 1992, which was the year that uh, Keegan returned as manager and he, he helped steer the team to safety. You were there and I wondered if you could start by describing how the atmosphere changed when Keegan arrived to take over. Well, obviously, as you mentioned there, um, a manager who played a huge part in my development, Ozzy Ardealis, and I was very close to him. And here I was a guy who, even in the day when he was being told he was being sacked, acted in an unbelievable way. Uh, the, the, invited all the journalists around to his house for a, 
cup of tea and a biscuit to him to give them in his final interview uh, to confirm his sacking. Um, so that was a tough period for me personally because yeah, I was a man who I owed so much to and I loved working under and he gave for so many of us youngsters an opportunity and belief. But then when it was announced within a few hours that Kevin was coming back, well, it was it was everyone's dream come true because I was lucky enough to be on the terraces and uh, get one of those tickets for a packed St James's in 1982 VQBR when Kevin came and debuted as a player and I seen the impact he made on a football club then because obviously I started watching in the 80s and 1980 and that wasn't a particularly good time for the football club in terms of where the club was in the league, what type of players we had and Kevin picked it up by its shoelaces and dragged it up and got it alive again so I knew here was a man that knew the club, loved the club even though he'd only had a short spell here the rapport he'd had with the supporters, how he could lift the city. Uh, and I was in no doubt that he could be successful as a manager. Did I ever think he'd be able to do it as quickly and how dramatically he'd done it? I don't think anyone did. Probably just him and Sir John, mm. uh, Sir John Hall. So, And I remember the first couple of sessions, it was just everyone was out to impress him. He was a, he was everyone's idol. He was, he was the most well-known British player of his generation and um, you know here he was again so it, it gave everybody a lift and uh, the club survived relegation that that uh, the end of that season that he arrived and, and Paul with relegation averted Keegan agreed to stay in the dugout permanently and the, the outlook ch- changed completely in the summer of 1992 didn't it it certainly did yeah um, Newcastle United's revolution started and it made an instant impact that that year um, and what a change in the club's fortunes uh, almost overnight. It was like supporting uh, a new club totally. John Hall and Kevin Keegan swung in the action immediately that summer. They forged a great partnership uh, off the pitch. Uh, Sir John, or later Sir John, uh, transformed the Magpies and began a complete redevelop- redevelopment in James's Park, uh, which was much needed. And on it, on the field, uh, Keegan's side was simply uh, magnificent. Um, United started that 1992-3 season with a bang. They won their first 10 league games, displaying a brand of football that had not been seen for generations, really. A victory over Sunderland of all clubs made it 11 wins out of 11, and they were top of the table. Mm. Lee, I'm curious, when you came back for that pre-season in 92, bearing in mind the team had just narrowly avoided relegation, did you sense that all of a sudden that you could push for promotion? Was that Keegan's target in the first game, go for winning the league? Absolutely, yeah. And he wasn't frightened to put it out there. He, he had massive ambitions. And he told us that. He told us what he wanted. He, he wanted us to win the league, not just get promoted. He aimed for the very, very top. And uh, his signings that summer proved it. He, he, he brought some top quality footballers in, experienced footballers, people who helped me along the way, you know, Paul Bracewell, for example. Was at the other end of this, his playing days, but had been a terrific footballer and still was a terrific footballer when we signed him. We took him, he'd been successful at Everton and uh, also Sunderland, and we, we brought him across from Sunderland. And he proved a, a, a great sort of mentor for me personally, playing alongside him in older head. We had obviously the signing of John Beresford when his move to Liverpool broke down. So it showed you the type of left back we were getting. Here was a player who was on his way to one of the biggest clubs in the world in Liverpool in the in the top level and unfortunately for John 
something showed up on his medical and, and then his next choice he came to us in the championship. So Barry Venison, who became one of the most high profile players, what he'd done when he'd gone to Liverpool and his will will to win, his attitude as a professional, his work ethic, um, his training was an unbelievable example for us all. And the signings just kept coming, you know, during that season, got the likes of Scott Sellers during the season, Andy Cole, through, you know, that was a close one for me because obviously I had a close relationship with Andy from England Youth Squads before that. So it was just an unbelievable part. And then as Paul mentioned there, that start to the season, 11 straight victories, 33 points up on the board straight away. You're up and running, and um, but typical Newcastle fashion, we blew it at home the following week against Grimsby in a one 0 defeat. So, but I think the manager wasn't too uh, harsh on us after the start we had. Yeah, fair, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, Paul Newcastle not only clinched promotion in ninety two ninety three to the newly formed Premier League, they did it in real style, didn't they? Well, you know, after that great start, uh, Newcastle uh, in the end cruised to the Division 1 title. There was one or two blips along the way, but uh, there wasn't much doubt that Newcastle would get there. And it was a victory at Grimsby, a 2-0 uh, win, clinch promotion to the new Premier League. And that was a great evening when Geordie's by the thousand invaded uh, Blundell Park. And in the final game of that season, United showed what was to follow. Uh, they demolished Leicester City uh, 7-1. Uh, as the new Leeser's End stand was climbing up to the sky and, and Lindisfarne played in the concrete shell beforehand and then David Kelly and, and the recent signing from Bristol City, Andy Cole, um, scored both scored hat-tricks and that was just a magnificent uh, finale to the season. Yeah, absolutely. I've got a painting in my office here that I'm looking at right now called uh, Two for Joy by an artist called Pascal Farrell who was commissioned by John Hall to record that occasion, the Leicester game. Uh, Lee, that was one of the all-time great afternoons, wasn't it? Playing in the new shiny kit, the, the whole stadium in black and white. Yeah, Steamroller in Leicester City, who, I checked this, they finished sixth in the league that yeah, season the and then lost, lost in the playoffs to Swindon Town. And they, we did them 7-1. It, it was an amazing day, live on TV. What what are your memories, Lee, from that one? Absolutely amazing. Um, it started in the, the day before the game. Crazily, I let... David Kelly cut me hair. I already had a shaving head at the time. And so David decided to take it down a, another notch or two. So cut it. And I remember my mum coming to the game and nearly having a seizure scene the state that I looked. I looked like I'd been somewhere. Um, I, one thing that stands out when I watch back that footage is when Sir John's getting interviewed and he says... And he's, he was very hype, and I think he's had one or two glasses of champagne, but he, he'd come out and said that, you know, we're now in the Premier League and we're going to show the big boys that we're here to stay and we're also going to be challenging and getting in those places for Europe. This is now going to be a powerful club. And I think people outside of St James's Park that day probably laughed and just thought, who's this crazy person who's saying these things? But he was actually proved extremely right by what followed in the following years. But... The game itself, I mean, I've been involved in some terrific performances um, in my career, but that's absolutely something that I'll never forget. 6-0 six, six up, as Paul said, the two strikers on hat-ricks. The goals were scored were just unbelievable passing moves. And as you said, we weren't as if we were just playing one of the teams who were like Whitman boys. This was a team who were in the playoffs and strongly fancied to do well. And 
they had good players, but we just put them to the sword that day and, and they couldn't handle us. And it was a it was a perfect ending. Yeah, so on to 93-94 then, the expectation. It, w- it was quite big, actually, p- perhaps a reflection of Keegan's ambition and confidence. And to underline how ambitious he actually was, I've, I've got his programme notes here from the opening game against Spurs. And I wanted to read an extract because they're quite amazing, quite famous among Newcastle fans. And Keegan wrote Newcastle's first ever game in the Premier League. Welcome to the first game of the 93-94 season, which promises to be one of the most exciting in the history of the club. Newcastle United are back where they belong in the top flight, competing with the best. I said after we accomplished promotion last season in some style, look out, Fergie, we are after your title. I meant it then, and I mean it now. Manchester United are the Premier League champions, and deservedly so, but we want to take over that top spot. In reality, nothing else really matters. What is more, we can do it. Pre-season has gone like a dream for us, especially the match against Rangers. There were well over 3,000 fans who made the trip, and they were the privileged few. We won a tremendous game and we did it in style. Not many clubs in recent years have come away from Rangers with anything at all. But even though we were without three first-team players, we produced the goods. The fans who were there now know we will be competing for the title against the likes of Man United, Spurs, our visitors today, Arsenal, Villa, Leeds and Blackburn. We will without doubt be in that group. We did not just go up just to consolidate our position. We have a top opening programme with Coventry, Man United and Everton to follow today's game. The one good thing was to have our first match at home, and that has pleased me. After that, we have, we have to be in a confident position to take on all comers. Last season, we had a dream start, breaking just about every record in the club's history. But what is happening here is not a dream. It's for real. Um, Lee, I'll come to you. Do you remember these words, reading these words? Were the players aware that, that, that Kevin had, had written or said that? It's, it's, it's hard to imagine a new manager for a newly promoted club saying that sort of thing, but that was Kevin Keegan, wasn't it? Yeah, no, <clears throat> to be honest with you, Matt, no, I can't remember them words, but you're reading them out, sent a shiver down my spine, the hairs on the back of my neck stood up again. I was I was ready to come thrashing out that tunnel at St James's Park again the, to the you know, the local hero music. That was <laughs> that's what Kevin done to you. He he inspired you, he made you feel unbelievable, he made everyone the players and the supporters they were just as important as each other. He 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 had massive ambition and he wasn't frightened to tell people and he was he, he pushed that into the players and he made sure that we were aware of that and and nothing else mattered and and, and we knew we had to deliver. Um, he, as I said, he was always continually improving the squad, so we knew as players we had to deliver what he wanted because if not, he would go and get players who could do that. And um, I was when you consider the little bit of an indifferent start that we had, we, we took our first point at Old Trafford after losing the first two games to Spurs and then Coventry. And everyone mm-hmm. was saying us they found it difficult, but then obviously we we went on a terrific run, and I think did we finish third in our first season? Yeah. So we, um, yeah, it was them words are wow, they're inspiring again. It's, uh, it's to 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 hear that again, and you can imagine Kevin seeing it and what he'd done as well when he said something like that in his program. That's how he delivered his team talks. He was. They were so inspirational. They were all inspiring. You wanted to just smash through the dressing room door and get out on the pitch and, and do your work because, hmm. as I said, he made you feel un, un, you were the best player in your position in the world when you were playing for him and on that given day. And he would the, the, the man management of him and how he would inspire us as a group of players um, was was ridiculous, really. Hmm. And Paul, Newcastle are in the shiny new Premier League. It was one year old. No wonder Sky wanted to broadcast so many of the games. 
Yeah, to the Premier League uh, for 93-94 uh, and its newfound TV partner, Sky Television. And and uh, Sky just loved Newcastle United. Uh, there wasn't any other club uh, that they wanted to show more than more than uh, Newcastle. You know, United had a style of football and a fervent support, and it and it, it was broadcast all around the world. And, and very quickly, uh, Sky branded Keegan's bright new team as the Entertainers, uh, and that tag stuck for years and years, and is still banded about with with much joy. Uh, the manager reinforced his squad before the season to join the likes of uh, Barry Venison and John Beresford, Paul, uh, Scott Sellers and uh, Rob Lee, who'd come uh, last season. He, he was backed by John Hall's money uh, and the riches of the TV deal. And Peter Beards, who returned from Everton, and that was a huge buy. Um, and record fees were paid for both uh, Rule Fox at 2.25 million and Darren Peacock at 2.7 million. And at the same time, St James's Park was soon completed a 25 million pound revamp into an old Cita stadium, and tickets were gold dust. It was almost a complete season ticket sellout. The atmosphere was just terrific, uh, even if the capacity was only around 34,000. Uh, and I'll see it you know, even now. The atmosphere back then with a reduced capacity was far, far better than it was with a 50,000 stadium that was to be completed in 2000. Mm. Uh, so it was uh, it was the start of something really special. Yeah. I mean, I remember it being impossible to get tickets, especially during this season. Me and my dad, when we did manage to get a couple, they were for the Odeon on Pilgrim Street, where the beam at the games back live. Couldn't get in the stadium. But I remember ge- being genuinely buzzed when my dad produced tickets for the audience. That's how excited you were to watch the team at this stage. And I watched, uh, vividly remember watching Andy Cole break Huey Gallagher's record in the audience when the team played Aston Villa. Um, Paul, can you remind us then how the first season in the Premier League played out? Yeah, well, as Lee mentioned there, we lost our first game against Tottenham at St James's Park, but we quickly found uh, our feet, really, uh, alongside the top sides. You know, Peter Bierzi was just uh, terrific, you know, playing the best football probably of his career, to be honest, with Newcastle at that time. Scored 24 goals. And Andy Cole, you know, just was dynamite in the Premier League. Uh, he scored that record 41 goals, 65 goals between them. So you can't complain at that. You know, Cole smashed the longest, long-standing goal record for the club in a season, uh, which was held by... George Robledo and Huey Gallagher jointly. Uh, it was an incredible first full season with the Magpies. Uh, United finished in third position and qualified for the UEFA Cup. And that was a, just a huge contrast uh, to a couple of years before. Supporters just couldn't believe what had happened. Yeah, Lee Andy Cole was a phenomenon at this time. What was it like to play with someone in that kind of form? And you mentioned he was a close pal of yours as well. Yeah, I knew Coley from the age of 15, 16. I was actually aware of or interest in him before we obviously signed him through the manager and Terry McDermott asking me what, what, what my thoughts were on him. And then obviously on the trip down, I think we were playing Swindon away and the manager says, I've got someone to speak to you. He was in his car, we were on the bus and uh, it was Coley and we just completed the deal. And I knew he'd be a terrific player for us. I, I didn't realise that he would do what he did. His goal-scoring record in terms of goals to game ratio was crazy. And he, he was a, a, f- a fantastic footballer in, in, in what was a really good team. And as you mentioned, him and Peter getting 65 goals between them. Peter was the perfect foil for Coley. Peter could slide balls through the eye of a needle and Coley was always that type of striker who was playing on the shoulder of the last defender. So you couldn't have asked for a better combination. And... Uh, 
it was um, it it was a terrific time, as you said. Andy just took the took the lead by storm. Andy epitomised the team really in the squad. What he'd done and what he uh, helped us do was fantastic. He he smashed the records, and obviously the team was playing with lots of uh, vigour, lots of uh, exciting players, and we were there to to create chances. Yeah, uh, we like to do player profiles on on the big big players from the history of the club, and I think Andy deserves one, Paul. So if you could uh, give us the official profile on Andy Cole, please. Well, most Newcastle supporters didn't know much about 21-year-old when he arrived from Bristol City towards the end of the 1992-3 season. Raised in Nottingham, he was an ex-Arsenal junior. He had not yet completed a full season in the first 11 by the time he joined Newcastle, but Kevin Keegan saw something special in Cole and paid a club record £1.75 uh, He was a, It was just a master signing. Quick, athletic, Cole knew where the goal was. And uh, in, in that first season or first full season in the Premier League, he was quite devastating. Uh, and as we've said, uh, he scored a record 41 goals for the club in only 45 outings. But Andy only spent 20 mo- 22 months on Tyneside before he joined Manchester United in, in, in a shock uh, move in January 1995. And we'll, we'll touch on that shortly. But everyone will remember Andy Cole in the black and white stripes. And of course, and, and the famous song, that went with it, uh, which was just just a great chant uh, or, or song, really. I'm not going to try and sing it, that's for certain. Um, but, uh, you know, he scored 80, uh, 68 goals and 84 appearances, and his strike rate was 81%. Now, that that has only been bettered by one person in Newcastle United's long history, and that's the legendary Huey Gallagher. So, mm. you know, that, that says something for what Andy Cole did in a, in a Newcastle United shirt. And of course, he went on to win everything with Manchester United and play for England. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amazing. I've sung that Andy Cole song a few times. I can, I can tell you that. <laughs> on in ninety four, ninety five, then Paul Newcastle were now everyone's second favourite team, and Keegan had built a momentum that was pretty unstoppable, hadn't he? Yeah, we were on a, a roller coaster, uh, without doubt. The club had big ambitions to challenge not only in England but also in Europe. Keegan again had plenty of money to spend in the close season. Uh, in came a player to become something of a cult hero, very popular, Philippe Albert, a cultured uh, centre-back who had starred for Belgium in the uh, USA World Cup. He cost £2.65 million. And also to arrive was a Swiss fullback, Mark Hottiger, another from the World Cup uh, in America. But there was to be a big bombshell, as I've touched on, to United's fans and to football as that 1994 season developed. Keegan sensationally accepted the then... You know, huge offer, and it was a big offer at that time of seven billion pounds from Manchester United for centre forward Andy Cole, and it seemed to everyone at the time just a crazy deal. United did get a raiding winger in Keith Gillespie as part of the the package, but uh, Keegan had a strategy, and a new number nine lined up for the following season. Yeah, yeah, we'll get onto that one next week. But but Lee, we have to ask you about the moment you heard Andy Cole was leaving as a friend of his and a teammate and a Newcastle fan. That must have been a huge blow. It was, and you know, a strange part of that story was um, me and Andy were neighbours, um, so we used to share the driving into training. So one day he would take the car out, next day I would take the car. And in the morning of 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 the actual deal, was uh, Coley was meant to be driving me, and and uh, you know he hadn't he hadn't came out to get to his car, and I was hanging around, and then uh, 
time went on, time went on, and I couldn't get a hold of him. His phone was off, uh, and I thought, well, there's no way I'm getting fined. I don't know what he's up to. I don't know, because I'd <laughs> spoke to him the night before. Um, so I, I got my car and drove to the training ground, and obviously the news broke, and, and then I got a call from Coley saying, listen, I apologise, I, I was sworn to secrecy, this this deal was so cloak and dagger, I couldn't even call you to, to inform you what was going on. He says, I haven't even been in, informed. Uh, any of his family, because uh, mm. obviously everyone from both sides was that desperate to keep the deal under wraps, um, which they obviously done a good job about, because as you said, it came as a shock. It was a massive shock to us, it was a blow to us, because here we are losing our our main man in terms of goals. But we had an unbelievable belief in the manager that we he knew what, we knew that he always had something up his sleeve, we knew that he wouldn't have let Curly go, Without having replacements in mind, and um, strangely enough, a couple, a couple of weeks before Coley was sold, um, myself and Andy were round St James's Park, and Kevin had his office at the old Millburn reception there, and he came out with Terry McDermott, and he grabbed the two of us and just says, "Come with us, you're in the car," and he took us to Anfield, uh, the four of us, and we went to watch Liverpool play QPR, and a certain Les Ferdinand was playing for QPR, and. Uh, he was obviously on a scouting mission to watch Les himself, and we we were part of his scouting team that night. So <laughs> that that was Kevin. That was Kevin in a nutshell. Basically, he, he made this shock decision, but he knew what he was doing in terms of going forward. You must have had a good game, Les. Oh, he had a good, a lot of good games at that time. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, I was just going to ask as well, Lee, Keegan famously came out onto the steps of St James's Park to explain his decision to the fans who were unhappy when the news broke. Did he sit you down as players and explain as well why he was doing this? Yeah, of course. Kevin was such an open man and an open manager. He wasn't He wasn't worried. That's why he had a great rapport with the fans. Which other manager would you think would come onto the steps and do that now or any time in their career and, and confront some fans who were angry? disappointed and give them an explanation and basically say I've got a plan I know what I'm doing if it fails I know what the consequences are but please believe in this and back in this and that's what he done he was like the pie pipe by he, he made people listen and he made people uh, you know go understand and he, he, he done that with the players the fans and the players whatever he said like he, you were talking about his program notes earlier those words he was saying to the fans would be exactly the same words he would have said to us in the dressing room as players. He, he treated us all the same. He had so much love for the supporters. Whenever we turned in an indifferent performance or he had to come in at half-time in certain games and not be happy with performance, he always used to say part of that talk was, well, we're letting the supporters down. And that was crucial to him. So, And, 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 and that's the way he, 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 he acted. And it, it wasn't a... It wasn't a it wasn't just put on for the sake of the support, as it was. It was absolutely genuine, and even behind closed doors, when he spoke to us, it was always about the fans and what they deserved and what the club could be. So it was absolutely genuine. Mm. Paul Newcastle didn't quite eclipse the the ninety three ninety four season in terms of um, the league performance, but they still did very well, didn't they? They did. Um, you know, they finished in sixth place, uh, and that was good enough, I suppose, for a second season in the Premier League. Uh, they also entered Europe, of course, uh, that season, uh, starting off with a 10-2 aggregate victory over Royal Antwerp. And that was the start of a, 
of a, a, a decade and more of European football for Newcastle United. And United's fans just love travelling around the continent to grounds, you know, eventually is, is you know, the huge grounds of the Camp Nou and the San Siro. Yeah, absolutely. We did a player focus on Peter Beardsley last week, Paul. You've covered Andy Cole this week. The only other omission for, from this period who I haven't mentioned is, is Rob Lee. He was personally my favourite player at the time. Sorry, Lee. But, uh, no I was problem. A, Rob Lee fan. as well. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, can you give us a, a profile on Rob Lee, if you don't mind? Well, he was a Londoner, Londoner of course. Um, and at the time of joining Newcastle, he'd, he'd been a fairly long-serving uh, goal-scoring winger with Charlton Athletic. Uh, he joined the Magpies uh, for the 1992-93 season for a bargain, £700,000. And he continued on the right wing for that promotion year, but soon developed into a box-to-box midfielder. You know, one of the really very best in the Premier League. Uh, had plenty of energy, work rate, and and linked up uh, with the guys up front and always could score goals. And, and he netted several spectacular efforts along the way. You know, Rob earned an England place. He won 21 caps uh, and was one of Newcastle's blue chip players uh, right through that uh, those fabulous years of the 1990s and into you know, the Sub- Sir Bobby Robson era. Uh, he played 10 seasons for Newcastle United, 381 uh, appearances, 56 goals. And uh, you know, there weren't many uh, better midfielders for the club in, in modern football. He would have been a, a midfield partner of yours as well during this time, Lee. A, a word for, for Rob, some player, wasn't he? Absolutely outstanding. A very good friend of mine as well. I got on great with him. We were together at the Tottenham Hotspur match of the week um, when the new owners came in to show the new era of the new owners. And um, we're, we're, we're very close. We've, we've got a strong bond. Um, and he was, a, as you say, and, and Paul said there as well, one of the best ever signings for the club, certainly up there as one of Kevin Keegan's best ever and one of the best players. He was how he changed his game. He was terrific as a winger when we first brought him in. But when he came into the midfield area and I got close to playing alongside him, brilliant. Had had everything as a as a box to box midfield player. He wasn't a defensive or an attacker. He could do all aspects of the game. He could score goals. He could he could get in the box and head goals. He could tackle he could pass short along he, he was a he was a fantastic player and a, and a brilliant guy and someone i've got a huge amount of respect for and i, lo- I love being around him as a, as a lad as well he was a terrific guy and, and just to round this episode off lee we'll, we'll leave the last word to you. you you must thank your lucky stars that your football career coincided with this period in the club's history and, and kevin keegan come in and and also thank the football and gods that you had the talent to contribute as well as a key player during this time yeah, listen, it's a dream come true to be remembered in this era because, as Paul mentioned at the start, it's so fondly remembered. <laughs> Could even say, which is probably wrong, that we're put up alongside the, the 69 boys who won the Fairs Cup and are the last mm. group of players to win something you know major in the club's history. But when people talk about us, you'd think we had won something because we're, sell- we're held in such high esteem. I think it was the connection that we had with the fans. I think there was a bond, an unbreakable bond between the, the terraces and the and the pitch, and we drove each other on. We gave everything for the support as and they backed us every single time home and away. And I think they enjoyed the football that we delivered, and they enjoyed the, the excitement. I think you know, as you you've touched on things like trying to get tickets was 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 really very well not possible really mm. things like that people were getting ready to go to a match 
you know, nine, ten o'clock in the morning. They couldn't wait to get into the city centre. They wanted to be with their mates and talk about the up and coming game after the game, the excitement of how we played and how we'd won. Or, you know, it's it was a phenomenal time, and I'm so so proud to have been part of an era of, of the club like this. Yeah, privileged to watch watch you and, and your teammates during the series, and, and great to have you join us today and help us relive it all. Uh, it's been a great episode, another another episode of Chronicled done, easily the most entertaining I think we've had so far. Um, the club have established themselves as one of the best in the country and uh, laid the foundations for a title challenge that we'll cover in next week's episode. So that's uh, coming out next Wednesday. Don't miss it, listener. Uh, in the meantime, please subscribe to the Everything is Black and White podcast via whichever podcast platform you're listening to us on. Press the notification bell so you get the episodes as soon as they land on Wednesday and follow Chronicle Live's Newcastle United channels on social media. We're at Chronicle NUFC on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Video versions of the episodes are available to watch on our YouTube channel, so just search for the EIB podcast on there and finally stay up to date with everything black and white by subscribing to our daily newcastle united newsletters these are free and a link to sign up is in the show notes so if you tap that scroll down to sport newcastle united updates select the box you'll be signed up to receive the best nufc content from chronicle live every day for free thousands and thousands of tune fans are subscribing to our newsletter so join them and see what all the fuss is about thanks so much for listening to chronicled the history of newcastle united with me matt ketchell paul joanu and our very special guest lee clark